The Bible is not um, primarily a book of rules. There are instructions. Of course, we have the Ten Commandments. In the New Testament, we have the Sermon on the Mount. A lot of it are historical accounts of how God deals with men and women at that time. And in Obadiah's prophecy, it's the Edomites that we're going to be concerned about this evening and God's dealing with them. And we can read with confidence, it is God's word, God breathed, God inspired words. And we know that God does not change. So God's way that God deals with people in those days is the same today. And essentially, we don't change. And we'll see this when we consider this, uh, this pagan nation, that there's parts of them that are parts of us, because they were sinners, and we are sinners also. Um, just uh, before we start, just a, a question about who was, the, who was Obadiah? Well, really we don't know. There are 13 people in the Bible mentioned by that name. We know that the name means servant of God, and maybe we don't need to know, because it's our God who we ought to know and we are dealing with um, today. Now, when um, uh, my, my father died, my, uh, my brother and, uh, and I, sort of around about the time of the funeral, uh, we, we got, we got to, when we got together, we tried to, well, it wasn't difficult, some of the, uh, the, uh, the outstanding memories of our, of our father. Um, and one of them was that he wasn't known to be a cultured man. Uh, I don't ever remember him uh, having a book in his hand. Um, I don't think he ever went to the pictures or the theatre. I think he went to the theatre once in Coventry, but that was to see Kenny Ball and his jazz men. And we went to London to see my auntie. And uh, we went on to our dad, can you take us to the British Museum? And he kept saying no. And eventually he agreed to. Well, I think it was the world record visit. It was a, what you'd call a whistle-stop tour of the British Museum, including the Elgin marbles that were housed in a separate building all over in less than 10 minutes. Well, if that was a whistle-stop tour, I'm going to do a whistle-stop tour about the Edomites in the scripture. Um, who were they? Well, I've said a little bit, uh, as we were doing the reading, they were descended from Esau. Historically, they were at best a thorn in the flesh to God's people, to the Israelites, and at worst, they were their implacable enemies. For instance, right early on, they wouldn't let Moses um, and the Israelites go through their land and they had to go all the way around it. But God, um, in his, his mercy, promised them that they, they, they would be left in their land as long as they were happy there and remained in it and didn't start looking to conquer other lands. But, of course, they made, through history, alliances with Israel's enemies, Syria, Assyria, and in the days of David, the Bible says that they were defeated, was routed. 
And then there were further defeats in the time of Solomon, Jehoram and Am Amaziah. Um, right through to this present prophecy. And it's, it's generally agreed that uh, this prophecy is concerning 586 BC, when Jerusalem was sacked, when it was um, routed by the Babylonians and many were taken captive. And standing on the sidelines, the bystanders were the people of Edom, Edom who looked on, as we went through on those verses, didn't just look on, they encouraged and indeed they took advantage of um, Israel's misfortune by looting what the Babylonians had left. And this prophecy is that God, right from the first verse, will raise up nations against them and they'll be wiped off the map. Uh, which was to happen by several nations, including the Maccabees, and by about a hundred years before our Lord Jesus was born, there, were, there was no such nation. It, the people were known as the Idumeans, and we'll look at that a bit later on. Um, but as a, as a nation, um, they weren't there at all. I'm recently reading a book uh, by Norman Davis called The Vanished Kingdoms. And it's, it's, it's almost like that. And it's going through European um, kingdoms that were great, that were really powerful and uh, thought that they were going to last forever. There were some that you wouldn't even know much about. Uh, Aragon, Borussia uh, were a couple of them. And then perhaps the latest example was the Soviet Union. People thought the Soviet Union was going to be there for. For, uh, for a very long time, but it's, it's gone. Well, we're going to look at Edom, and we're going to particularly uh, refer to verse 3, because their sin, their main sin that has been spoken about, is their pride. It says, the pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock and your habitation is high. And we're going to look at this uh, this evening, um, the subject of pride. We're going to look, first of all, in verses 1 to 9, the deception of pride. We're then going to look at uh, 10 to 14, the gloating of pride, how pro pride, people who are proud gloat. But then verses 15 to 21 will see pride humbled, the humbling of pride. Now, um, many Christian writers have, have commented on the sin of pride. Thomas Adams, a Puritan, I think it's a Puritan, um, said that pride is um, the shirt of the soul. It's put on first and put off last. Um, Thomas Manton and indeed C.S. Lewis is quoted as saying, pride, pride is the cause of all other sins. And then Thomas Adams again makes the comment that pride thrust Nebuchadnezzar out of men's society. It thrust Saul out of his kingdom. Proud Adam out of paradise. Haman out of court. And proud Lucifer out of heaven. So we're going to look this evening about pride and certain aspects about it. 
Well, first of all, as I said, we're going to look at the deception of pride. Pride makes us big, but God will make us small. Pride reckons without the sovereignty of God and our dependence on him. But pride, it also deceives us. Oh, that won't happen to me. I won't be like that. Now, if we look at Edom, in what way did their, was, their, was their pride sort of um, manifested itself? How, and how did it deceive them? Well, first of all, in verse 3, it says that uh, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, you who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Well, the Edomites, they thought they had natural advantages. They were in a, um, a high, they, their land was in a high place. Their capital city was hewn out of the rock. They were looking down on their neighbours and they thought they were impregnable. They, they, you know, there would be no problem. Nobody will be able to defeat us. Nobody will be, get up here and beat us. And it didn't matter, as we soon, soon find out from verse 4, that no matter how high you go or how well off you think you are you're not protected from God's plans well they thought they had natural advantages verse 7 all the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border the men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you they thought that because they'd made treaties with powerful nations that they were safe they thought you know everything is going to be fantastic and uh, you know we've got nothing to worry about um, and they were completely self-sufficient didn't think they had anything to be anxious about at all and then in the next verse verse 8 will I not in that day says the Lord even destroy the wise men from Edom and the understanding from the mountains of Esau they thought they were clever they thought they were wise they thought they knew all the answers they said all the right things. They would never be outwitted and they would be safe in their position. And then in the next verse, mighty men, they thought they were fit and strong, fighting nation. Well, if anybody gets through, gets past this, this, uh, uh, this rock, this high land, we'll be able to sort them out. We are totally self-assured. We're totally independent, completely secure, secure in control, complacent, with an attitude that nobody can touch us. That we're, I'm all right, Jack. Everything in the garden is great. Well, pride and complacency, as those uh, authors have said, are our enemy. If we're unbelievers this evening, it keeps you from coming to Christ. Why do I need Christ? I don't need Christ. I'm doing perfectly okay. No, my life is, is perfectly fine as it is. What do I need to come to Christ for? Or perhaps we're believers and we're afflicted with pride. Well, it will cripple, and it does cripple your Christian walk. It deprives you of your blessings in the Lord Jesus. Instead, we're not relying on Jesus. We're relying on our own privileges and abilities. We reckon without God's sovereignty 
if we're filled with pride this evening. Well, how can we apply that then to ourselves? This was how Edom thought in that particular time. Um, We're not in, in the situation of Edom, but we can be the same. We can think we've got every advantage, perhaps as believers or unbelievers. We can think, yeah, I've got money. Okay, I know that I've got enough money in the bank that if some disaster happens, if the car was to pack up on the Runcorn Bridge or if the roof was to fall in, generally I think I could manage. Well, I've got a supportive family, you know, they, they they look after me. Um, go to a good church Um, in a good area everything's fine we rely on that sometimes instead of the Lord Jesus Christ advantages they may treat us these people well we live in a society where generally our religious freedoms are largely protected but as our pastor has said on many occasions They're being chipped away, aren't they? Are we perhaps too reliant on that? And we're not reliant on God. And we're not prepared for persecution and difficulties, which may well come. The third thing which relates to the Edomites is that perhaps we take comfort in the fact that, yeah, we know the Bible. Yeah, quite smart, quite clever. I can... You know, I, uh, when that person asked me about what I believed in, I gave a good account, really, you know. And uh, you know, I, can, I can speak to others and, uh, you, know, I'm, you know, I know the answers. But are we depending upon ourselves or are we depending upon the Lord? C.S. Lewis, in speaking about pride, put his finger on that. He said that he got to a situation and he didn't realise, and it showed the deceitfulness of pride, where he, he was becoming proud of his Bible knowledge and what he thought was his, his correct understanding of Scripture. And he was even becoming proud, he thought, of, you know, well, I'm quite good at overcoming temptation. You know, I haven't got into any real difficulties. And he realised that he was relying on himself. He wasn't turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. These people as well became self-assured, independent, didn't think they needed God because they were fit and strong. Maybe we're, we're here tonight. And we think, yeah, pretty healthy. You know, I mean, I'm getting on in age. I wake up in the morning, I've got a few aches and pains. Wake up in the morning, I feel just as tired as I did when I went to bed. But, you know... Generally, doing okay. I don't think I've uh, got anything. But do we give a thanks for our health? Do we acknowledge that our God is in control? We do, I think, when, we, when something really serious happens to us. But why do we have to wait for that to happen? Do we give thanks for our health? Do we realise that our days are in his hands? So there's a deception in pride. We think that we're okay. But see, deceitfulness surrounds pride. The deceitfulness of it is it makes us hard for us to detect it, that we're proud in our hearts. 
And our pride can make us think that all is well in our heart and our relationship with Christ. When perhaps in many areas in our life, we're not relying on the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody described, and I was too sure, but I can see where they're getting at, is that pride is a little bit like a cancer. Is that it's, it's in us. We don't realise that it's, it's, it's having a killing effect. It could have a killing effect on our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as it grows, often unknown to us. You see, we need to realise that our hearts, as uh, Jeremiah says in um, chapter seven. Uh, chapter 17 verse 9 the heart is deceitful above all things and Eve didn't know that she was going to be deceived the Christians in Corinth didn't realise they were being deceived and we're no different I mean, it, where does it come from it doesn't come just from our words or our acts or our inner thoughts or our sneers but it comes from our hearts. And what we need to do is to hear those inner thoughts, what, what we think. And perhaps if we really did that, it would alert us to the pride that's in our hearts. Pride is very dangerous. As I said, for the unbeliever, it stops them coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. For the believer... It cripples, it hinders, it impairs their Christian war. And taking steps to guard it, against it, is vital. I was um, at a church in, in Leicester a, a few weeks ago where middle daughter lives. And they gave a very good example about how easy it is to become self-reliant and what the consequences can be. They might not always be immediate. And he used a rather strange example of, of Mike Tyson. You remember Iron Mike? Even if you can't stand boxing, you would have heard of Iron Mike. Now, it, when this chap said it to me, it surprised me. He said, I, I just used to think Mike Tyson, you know, big slugger, bounce into the ring, boom, 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 down they went. Off he went home with his, uh, with his few million dollars and that was a result. But apparently... For all of Mike Tyson's uh, contestants, he watched endlessly videos of his contestants of how they fought and what their weaknesses were. And he studied it. And he didn't take anything for granted. He didn't feel sort of that, that he could manage without it. But he had one person who he was up against, a total unknown at the time, James Buster Douglas. And he must have thought to him, oh, I could beat him with one hand tied behind me back. And he didn't do all this preparation. He didn't do all this thing, this watching the videos. He didn't, he felt that he was, he could do things on his own. He'd do it on autopilot. And he'd, he'd go into the ring and boom, boom, boom. Down he would go. Well, of course, he went into the ring. Boom, boom, boom. Down he went. The lesson there, isn't there, that are we living in times, our Christian life, 
perhaps on as if we are in control, we're not, that we're not dependent daily on our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps sometimes we live our Christian lives on autopilot and not commit each day in prayer, that we're not studying the word as we should. We're not seeking to overcome temptation through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, the deception of pride. Let's turn then to verses 10 to 14, the gloating of pride. Now, the Edomites, you know, if, if, uh, if you were to come and say this to them, they wouldn't be ashamed of their pride. They reveled in it. They sneered and they made fun of the misfortunes of others. And in this case, they made fun of God's people. Verse 11 and 12 says, In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. And then it said, But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Israel in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. They stood on the sidelines, they laughed at the Israelites as they were getting carried away and being routed by the Babylonians. They even looted what possessions that had not been removed. And indeed, that verse says, they even prevented the Jews from escaping the sword of the Babylonians. They were gloating. Pride can make us gloat. And you can just see it, can't you? The Edomites saying, looking, looking down on them from, a, from their height and the security of what they thought of their land. You can just see it, can't you? Well, if, if Jerusalem had had land like ours, if it had been up in the rocks, it wouldn't have happened to them, you know. And if Jerusalem had not only had our natural advantages, if they'd have made treaties, you know, if they'd have been um, cute to make treaties against other nations, but of course they wouldn't have anything to do with other nations, they wouldn't be in the trouble that they are in now. They gloated. And I'm sure they thought to themselves, well, if they'd been as clever and strong as we are, they wouldn't have come to this serves them right and I'm sure that we know this from history they definitely would have said that it does serve them right they had it coming those people of Israel been thinking they were better than us thinking that we were pagans that they were God's people they were a cut above us you know great to see their misfortune and they gloated over it pride can cause gloating the Germans have a word for it schadenfreude and it means delight in the pain of others and it's that schadenfreude that, that feeds a lot of magazines gossip columns newspapers seeing people going through a bad time and say ah oh, they had it coming to them, serves them right. I, I, even recently, when um, Steve Smith 
for those who don't know who Steve Smith was, captain of Australia's cricket team. And he was found out the sanctioning ball tampering. Somebody had sandpaper in his pocket and um, sandpapered one side of the cricket ball to make it swing better. Cheating, in other words. And um, he had a press conference and he was crying and he was saying, I hope you forgive. And I spoke to a few people who gloated and he thought, well, he had it coming, them Australians. They've been bad sportsmen, they've been cheats for ages at cricket. Serves them right. That's what they deserved, uh, that happening to them. And the papers were full of it, you know. Being found out at last. Remember Tiger Woods? When... Uh, his life fell apart. The uncharitable things that were said. And we, we see it even on a simplistic level. You know, when, again, I suppose, golf with the Ryder Cup. You know, when you see... Um, uh, a, a, a European miss an easy putt and it's in America. And you go, yeah! You know, real excitement, cheering, pleasure at the misfortune of others. That's what the Edomites were about. But you see, we're not immune from that. It's a sign of pride that, that we gloat. People see a church struggling. And you should be praying for them. And they say, oh, well, you know, what do you expect? They see uh, somebody's marriage on the rocks. And, and they, they should be offering to help and to pray for them. But they, they can't wait to go around and tell everybody else about what's going on. We all have this sin in our hearts. Particularly if we feel aggrieved or envious of a person. Particularly if, if it was... Um, we thought it was a, a marriage that was, was, uh, that was perfect. You know, made our marriage feel awful. And then it, it, that goes goes uh, pear-shaped, and you think, oh, what's that? You know. and, uh, or if it's been somebody who, who has upset you, or you're envious of, you know, everything seems to be going for them. Um, and, it, you know, to be honest, I, had no, I didn't have a great deal of difficulty of thinking of, of examples when I'd been like that. I used to work in a... When I used to work out of hours for social services, I used to do a bit of teaching at Hubert College... And I was teamed up with this fella and he used to separate the students and he gave me all the ones who couldn't care less about the, 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 the lesson and he took all the ones who had the best marks and were doing great. We had an inspection and he knew about it and he didn't even tell me to, so that he uh, made a bit of a pig's ear of it. Anyway... He got into trouble and um, he was forced to go. And I have to admit, I won't say cheered, but I was quite pleased. And I thought, afterwards I thought, I'm just gloating. It doesn't matter the way he'd been that, that uh, felt aggrieved towards him. It's a sign of pride. And the Edomites gloated. How should we respond when we see or hear 
about um, things going wrong for people, about a marriage that's hit the buffers, about a person who has got in trouble with the law, about a person who's been caught doing something they shouldn't do. We shouldn't gloat. We shouldn't wait to talk opportunity to tell people, oh, did you know about this? Did you know about the other? We're believers. We should pray for them. We should exercise humility there, but for the grace of God, go I. We shouldn't think we're immune. That's what the Edomites thought. They were independent, self-assured. They didn't need any help at all. We're not immune from these sins. We should show kindness to people in situations. And we should definitely refrain from gossip and reprimand those who engage in it. So the deception of pride, the gloating of pride. We now come to the, the last few verses, verses 15 to 21, the humbling of pride. Those who walk in pride will be humbled. And it uses the expression in verses uh, 16 which you find it's a sort of a symbolism um, a metaphor almost that's used in by Isaiah and Jeremiah and in Psalm 75 and that is of of people who are humbled as a picture of them drinking themselves into oblivion and it's a very strong illustration because it's a case I suppose of of of, of having some awareness of of um, the fact that we are pride, proud to begin with but then it becoming such a way of life that we're no longer aware of it at all just like a person who continues to drink and drink that they become so drunk that they're completely oblivious and unaware of what is going on around them. And this is what was to happen in judgment to the Edomites. And it says, um, and they, at the end of verse 16, and they shall be as though they had never been. They became a vanished kingdom. They turned up next as the Idumeans and in, or, or Herodians, as they're sometimes uh, um, described as. Um, Idumeans is Greek for Edom. And they settled in a small area, and in fact they produced the lines of Herod, four generations of Herods. Herod the Great, who sought to kill the baby Jesus, slaughter of the innocents. Herod Antipas, who had John the Baptist killed. Then the third Herod, Herod Agrippa I, had James executed, threw Peter into the prison. He was the one who, in total, as a good example of, of total pride and thinking that he was almost a god himself in control of his own destination, was struck by the angel of the Lord, eaten by worms and died. And then, of course, there was Herod Agrippa II in Acts 25, where Paul made his defence in front of him. So these people were still opposed to God and his servants. But they were to be judged. And let us just come to three final points before we finish. To, in a way, sum up. Well, 
It says in verse 15, all the other verses, 19, 20, and 21, talk about how their land is going to be carved up. It says in verse 15, the day of the Lord is upon all the nations is and it's near. The day of the Lord. And it says right at the end, the kingdom shall be the Lord's. There will be a day of reckoning. In this case, it's speaking about them as a nation. But it's people that are made of nations. And it's a day of reckoning for the people. So those who have been against God all their life, who've been born into um, situations of paganism and worshipping all things other than the, the one true God, that the day of the Lord will come. There will be a reckoning. Obviously, the main reckoning is when, when we die. But of course, the Lord Jesus, he may, he may come even before that happens, but the Lord Jesus Christ will come again and he would judge the living and the dead. And those who thought that they were untouchable, those who, they th who thought that they didn't need God, those who thought they were in complete control of their lives, in control of all events, there will be a day of reckoning. They will see that the opportunities that they've had when they've heard the gospel, that that was the, the, the time to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were opportunities, but they thought, I don't need God. I'm quite happy as it is. There'll be a day of reckoning. The second, let's turn to Mark chapter 3, verses 6 to 8. Chapter 3, verses 6 to 8. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with Herodians and said they were descendants of Edom, relations of Edom. They plotted with the Herodians against him and how they might destroy him. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, where the Edomites, Edomites had settled, Idumea. And beyond the Jordan and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. <coughs> Even those who were brought up to be against Christ, the Edomites, the Idumeans as the, as the Greek word for them, they can have their hearts changed. Our God is a merciful God. He's not willing that any should perish. What grace that he didn't turn his back on us as sinners, even though he's too pure to behold our evil. He sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross. He, Lord Jesus paid the price that we deserved so that we can go free so that we can have our sins forgiven so that we when God looks upon us if we're in Christ he sees the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ what an inspiration for, for, for those this evening who are unbelievers it doesn't matter how much of your life has been spent thinking that I don't need God or 
He's not going to be any part of my life. If we turn in repentance, he will and call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will save you. And what an inspiration for us for prayer and witnessing. That we shouldn't think, well, yeah, you know, pray for Muslims or, or other religions who, 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 who would entertain the Lord Jesus Christ. That verse shows that that Lord Jesus Christ's hand is, and arm is not too long to save. His mercy is great. And then finally, just something for us to, um, to, to, to think about and to leave you with. Let's turn to uh, Proverbs. Proverbs chapter, first of all, Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16, verses 17 to 18, well-known um, verses. Um, yeah, 17 and 18, sorry. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who keeps his way preserves his soul. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of humble spirit with the lowly than divide the spoil with the proud. And then... Not far away from that, in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 12. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honour is humility. How not to be like the Edomites? And as believers, we shouldn't be like the Edomites. Well, first of all, we should respond to our situation with humility. We should thank God the situation that we're in especially as believers that we have been saved by God's grace shouldn't make us haughty or proud our situation and even in this life should never make us haughty or proud it should make us humble respond with humility and we should respond to those who have who are vulnerable who are needy who are or having a very difficult time, maybe even perhaps for their own reason, or maybe not for their reason, but having a difficult time. We should respond with compassion. We shouldn't respond with gloating. Amen.